If you're a gun owner who has ever been on the internet, you've inevitably been in that situation in which someone is wrong and tells you, no one wants to take your guns, we just want common sense gun control. Clearly, they're working in a different framework and have a very different definition of common sense than I do, and the argument could be made that their sense of reality violates even the most basic rules of space and time. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Frankly, anyone who tells you that the government isn't coming for your guns is either ignorant or lying. Because for every leftist that tells me no one is coming for your guns, there's at least three internet randos and five politicians that tell me that not only are they coming, but that they're going to use the full force of the government to do it. The ratio of internet randos has changed since the age of COVID-1984, but only slightly. If there wasn't still a strong anti-gun sentiment, I wouldn't have been doxxed last month over my stance on self-defense, and I wouldn't be sitting on an Antifa hit list for the crime of posting boogaloo memes. In fact, I'd argue that among politicians and the far, far left, anti-gun sentiment has gotten even worse because they're still sneaking in new laws and still holding votes on gun control while everyone else is distracted. They know there has been a huge increase in first-time gun owners over the last six months, and they're worried about their job security. And what's worse is that these laws that they keep flinging at the wall are nothing but virtue signaling that put good people in harm's way. Red flag laws are a perfect example of this. Before we get to the rest of this video, I'd like to give a huge shout out to the newest partner of the channel, Sportsman's Guide, who is also having a huge 40% sale on all military surplus items, sales on camping gear, and apparently they're giving away $20 gift cards. I know some of you folks don't like Cabela's, so now you have yet another way to support the channel while stocking up on all of your normal gear. To help out the channel, just use the link down in the description. This video is an excerpt from a talk I gave at Porkfest a few weeks ago on the broader topic of gun control. I was last at Porkfest talking about gun laws in 2014 when a friend invited me to be on his panel. That was only six years ago, but might as well have been a century ago in terms of gun policy. In 2014, the biggest issue was the passage of multiple state-level provisions that required mental health professionals to violate HIPAA in order to provide information on gun ownership to the National Background Check system. Don't get me wrong, that's terrible and a pretty big issue, but compared to the anti-gun law book today, that stuff is just toddler t-ball. For example, 19 states have now enacted red flag laws with another 11 thinking about it. A lot of those states are the usual players you'd expect, like Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, California, basically all the places that you would think of if we're talking about outrageous gun control. But then we have places like Virginia, which you guys know about if you've been watching my channel, as well as Tennessee, Vermont, and even the live free or die state of New Hampshire. In fact, the New Hampshire red flag law was happily passed by the House and Senate and is sitting on the governor's desk. Now, red flag laws are one of those things that might sound good on the outside to folks not yet in the know on government straw manning, but on the inside, they're a total load of crap.
Red flag laws are not only the most redundant, but also one of the most dangerous of all gun control laws. Now, I say redundant because anyone who has been involuntarily committed to an inpatient mental health unit because they are a danger to themselves or to other people is already a prohibited person. That in and of itself is a questionable gun control feature and not exactly aligned with liberty, but that is a topic for another day. <laughs> Red flag laws are also redundant in that they basically already exist. And now this is something that most people don't know. And this is where my role as a therapist comes in because I get to tell you all about it. To my knowledge, every state requires mental health practitioners to have their clients or patients evaluated if they pose a danger to themselves. In Massachusetts, this is called a section 12. The person either goes to the emergency room voluntarily or unfortunately is escorted by police or ambulance in order to get evaluated. 48 states currently have a version of something called Tarasoff, while the remaining two have their own versions of it. Tarasoff is a form of mandated reporting that holds all mental health workers to a duty to protect and, in most states, a duty to warn if they suspect or have evidence that their clients are at imminent risk of hurting someone else. These laws originated from a California Supreme Court decision in the 1970s and then were generalized to the rest of the states. In 1968, a young man at UC Berkeley met a woman named Tatiana Tarasov. It became a story of obsessive, unrequited love, and he became so distraught over it that he actually sought out counseling. But in 1969, he told his psychologist that he had plans to kill Tatiana. The psychologist sent a letter to campus police and asked them to get him evaluated, but he never checked back in on it. They didn't get him evaluated, and he did go on to kill Tatiana several weeks later. He was arrested and charged with murder, and upon his release, Tatiana's parents filed a lawsuit. This lawsuit and its rehearing established not only a duty to warn potential victims of a threat made against them, but also established that mental health workers and doctors also have a duty to protect by any reasonable means necessary. In this case, reasonable means making sure that the person gets evaluated and hospitalized if they're a threat. So anyone who is at imminent risk of hurting themselves or someone else is, by law, evaluated and committed for observation, which automatically puts them on the prohibited person's list. The catch is that because this violates HIPAA, the practitioner needs to be able to make a really good case for the action. The difference with red flag laws is that anyone can file one, and because there's no evaluation or due process, the filer doesn't even necessarily need any real evidence. Unfortunately, this is something that you see all the time in urban areas with regular restraining orders. When I worked in the projects doing community mental health, restraining orders might as well have been their own currency. Cops and courts never bothered looking into whether or not a claim was sound, and so filing a restraining order became a really good way to evict a tenant or a roommate, get back at an ex initiate a breakup, or send a message to someone you really don't like and ruin their day. I have no reason to believe that the same thing wouldn't happen with red flag laws or gun restraining orders, and on some level, it already has. Late last year, police went after a Florida man for threats of violence after someone on Facebook reported him for a pro-gun meme.
In 2017, a Massachusetts man had his collection of 98 guns confiscated by police after neighbors reported him for peeing in his own backyard. A college student in Florida was served with a red flag after shitposting on Reddit, and when police showed up, they found out he didn't even own a gun. Yet another man was hit with a gun confiscation order for posting a photo of his custom-built AR online. Nine times out of ten, the person getting served hasn't even been notified ahead of time. Police just show up on their doorstep in full gear, ready to take their guns. In fact, a man in Maryland has already died after one of these incidents. And in a time where free speech is considered hate speech and we already have no-knock drug raids killing and injuring citizens left and right, it's easy to see how red flag laws could go really, really wrong. But remember, it's okay to violate multiple civil liberties because this is stopping violence by means of a qualifier that really has nothing to do with violence. In reality, mental health has little to nothing to do with the gun violence government is supposedly trying to prevent. About the only time that mental health comes into play is suicides and mass shootings. In the case of suicide, unfortunately, trust me when I tell you, if someone is in that place and has come to that decision, they will use whatever means are available. Now with mass shootings, I'm not talking about your average person with depression or anxiety. In fact, people with mental health issues are way more likely to be victims than they are to be criminals. Now I say it's a mental health issue in the same way that I would say Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer had a mental health issue, because I don't think that anyone would be able to argue that committing that kind of violence is a healthy or balanced coping skill or emotional outlet, or that they are perfect pictures of mental health. This is a whole other animal, and from all the evidence I've seen so far, it really seems to me like mass shooters are this generation's serial killer or spree killer. There are a couple of different profiles that the experts are tossing around in regards to mass shooters, depending on the setting in which the shooting occurs. But even among those profiles, there are a few common threads. For example, they are usually men between the ages of 20 and 40 who have experienced childhood trauma, feel socially isolated, have paranoid delusions, are suicidal, have a history of violence, a grievance against their target, and a recent loss acting as a catalyst for the shooting. So far, most of the men involved in mass shootings also lived in areas with high unemployment rates and poor access to mental health care. Many of them were also already known to law enforcement, the mental health system, and in several cases, the FBI. Good job, feds! Now, the true crime aficionados who are watching might have noticed we have a picture pretty similar to your typical serial killer. It's just the method and the rituals around the act that have changed. Most of these incidents these days also get wrapped up in the white supremacy narrative, another popular anti-gun trope. And turns out, it's bunk. As a whole, these shooters don't tend to prescribe to any particular ideology or any ideology at all. The racial composition of mass shooters is also roughly equivalent to the racial composition of the U.S. population. The assault rifle narrative? Also bunk. Handguns are used more often. And going all the way back in the research, about half of the shooters bought their guns illegally, which tells you that the current laws we already have don't work, and the rest of the shooters stole their guns, which also tells you that 
surprise, the legality of a behavior is not going to stop a criminal. And if most of these folks are already in the legal and mental health systems and were known by the feds, I'm not sure what exactly a red flag law is supposed to do. Not to mention, some of these shooters should have been on the prohibited persons list due to past violent crimes, but law enforcement just never put them in the NICS database. And because they didn't do their job and follow current legal protocol, regular law-abiding folks have to suffer under a law of pre-crime under the guise of safety. Then there's the whole problem of due process. In the ideal world, at least according to the folks pushing these laws, the few mistakes could quickly be corrected. But that is not at all what happens in practice. We have some information now out of a few states that have enacted these laws early on. And it turns out that due to the imagined stakes involved, judges typically err on the side of taking guns. Surprise! These orders are almost never denied. In a nation that supposedly prides itself on innocent until proven guilty and the right of a fair trial, it turns out that that only applies to issues not involving possession of guns. These orders are granted without even consulting the person they're being placed against and can last anywhere from two weeks to six months. Most of the people being restrained aren't told about their rights, and out of all the states that have these laws, Colorado is the only one that will give the person a court-appointed lawyer if they can't afford one. Once the person finally gets a hearing and is able to respond, the word risk takes on a new and perverse meaning. The petitioner who filed the order is supposed to show evidence that the respondent poses a risk. The standard of proof is very low, and the risk no longer has to be an immediate threat. At this point, risk becomes an even more vague term without a timeline. Now the person could have been a risk once, months or years ago, or could become a risk sometime, someday in the future. And that would count. Because of this, renewable orders that last up to a year are usually the result. In Maryland, these orders get renewed 62% of the time, and in Florida, 95% of the time. The only way to get out of it is to find a way to prove that you are not a risk. And the legal system acknowledges that this is next to impossible, so good luck. The petitioner can also go back to court every year, essentially prolonging the order indefinitely. Meanwhile, there is absolutely zero evidence that red flag laws prevent much of anything. Preliminary studies show that 90 to 95% of the gun owners who lose their Second Amendment rights under red flag laws because they were deemed a threat to themselves never actually would have committed suicide. There is also no evidence to show that these orders prevent homicides or mass shootings. Connecticut already had a red flag law long before Sandy Hook, and we know what happened there. In reality, if the government had any real interest in stopping gun violence, it would end the war on drugs. But unfortunately for you and me, the war on drugs is just too profitable. And that's just one example of the crazy gun control laws that we face today, and it's somehow the most sensical out of virtue-signaling unicorn la-la land, and that should concern you.
If you've spent any amount of time on my channel, you know that things are rough out there. The record number of gun sales and new gun owners month after month since COVID, the lockdowns, and the riots have shown that people are getting less and less trusting of their governments. The political machine, as it stands, cannot continue to exist in its current state with an armed populace. And I believe that these red flag laws are just the beginning as the politicians try to overcorrect the wheel. So what can you do? Now is the time to call your local officials if you believe in that kind of thing. It's time to get involved in your communities, with your families, with your friends. Give them the information, spread the principles of liberty, take them shooting, teach them gun safety. Be an example against the stereotypes pushed by politics and legacy media. But above all, stock the ammo cabinet. That is it for today's video. There were some requests for the whole talk I gave, but that was 45 minutes long and covered some of the topics I've already covered here for you guys before. So hopefully you enjoyed this little tidbit. As always, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Check out the partners down in the description. And if you'd really like to help support the channel in other ways, you can find me on Patreon and Subscribestar or give a one-time donation through PayPal or crypto. Until next time, stay safe and happy shooting.